be seated. And let me encourage you at this time to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turning with me to our passage for this morning, which we find in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs 1, the opening verses of 1 through 7. And this is our passage for last week as we began our new summer series on the book of Proverbs. We use this passage as a starting point to have a general overview, this introduction to the book of Wisdom. So we're going to look more at these verses uh, in depth this week. But we find that is the purpose of Proverbs, is wisdom, is God's wisdom shared with his people. And the wisdom, as we said, is in mind here in Proverbs, is best defined as skill, especially the skill to survive. But what we find in Proverbs, we find throughout Scripture, is that God didn't create us just to survive, but to thrive. And we don't have this you know, mean old God who sits up in heaven and, and delights and seems to kind of struggle along, barely making it. Rather, through his wisdom and following his wisdom, we will thrive in this life. We will thrive in the life that he has given to us, and in this life he has gifted us with blessings. He showers them on his people, and we thrive through his wisdom in living in this life. But we especially thrive when we see that the wisdom of Proverbs always points us to Christ. This isn't just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's, it's wisdom that points us to Jesus. As we're told in the New Testament, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. So how do we live the good life? How do we live a life that thrives? By coming to the book of Proverbs, studying God's wisdom and seeing how it always points us to Christ. So godly biblical wisdom is truly just about our faith in Jesus and living it out for God's glory. And so the book of Proverbs guides us and is Christ-exalting and Christ-likeness to live this life that thrives in this Christocentric manner. And so this morning we will start looking more in depth of this wisdom of God in the first seven verses of chapter 1. Let me pray for our time together now as we come to God's word together. Father, it is my uh, desperate, desperate prayer this morning that there is no bit of my human wisdom uh, in these words. It's all wisdom taken from you. Don't let this be uh, James McManus. Let it be, I'm your messenger of your wisdom. And may your people this morning only hear your wisdom how it points us to Jesus, helps us to like more in Jesus and to live more for him. So Lord, guide us this time, we pray. May your spirit be with us uh, to enable us to hear your word and to understand it and for it to be applied to all the places that it needs to be applied to. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, and let's stand together now. For the reading of God's word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord 
It's the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. I, I trust and believe that as we study the book of Proverbs and we continue in our study of the book of Proverbs, as we give it more thoughts and we think more about it, we meditate on it, we'll come to find that there is an intimacy to wisdom. That by the very nature of wisdom, there's intimacy to it. Now, we can learn wisdom from strangers, but I think what we find is the wisdom that sticks with us, that lasts with us, comes from those who know us and love us, and so we know and love them in return. Good wisdom is born from intimacy and love. The nature of godly biblical wisdom is intimacy. We can think of of a grandparent sitting on a rocking chair and and putting you on their knee or you sitting at their feet and they share wisdom with you that you need. They love you. They're your grandfather, your grandmother, and they know where you're struggling. And so out of that love for you, they say, here's some wisdom to help you along with where you're struggling. The book of Proverbs helps us understand that wisdom comes from intimacy. Wisdom best comes from someone who knows you, loves you, who wants the best for you. Someone who knows what wisdom you need and where to apply it. And that is true biblical wisdom. True biblical wisdom is always born from intimacy and love. It isn't wisdom that's just kind of hot air that can be applied generally, but it's wisdom that's meant to be applied to where we need it. Now we see that in the very structure of the book of Proverbs. Many commentaries take the first nine chapters and they refer to it as the father's wisdom or the fatherly approach. And why they do that is because we look down at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. The book of Proverbs, at least the first nine chapters, are set up as a father talking to his son, of Solomon talking to his son. It's wisdom set in terms of intimacy. We can almost imagine it's like a father uh, talking to his son as they walk through the woods on their way to their favorite fishing hole. And they sit down the log and they cast out and they fish as the father shares his wisdom with his son. If you want more of a picture of that, then go watch the Andy Griffith show. Right? And the opening credits as Annie and Opie with their cane poles are making their way to their favorite fishing hole. See, the book of Proverbs, wisdom is shared in this intimate way. It's set in the context of a father talking with his son, putting his arm around his shoulders and telling his son, here's the wisdom that you need that's best for you. So it's set in the context of Solomon talking to his son. However, Solomon isn't our father, We aren't his children, but we actually have something more intimate and more loving here. Because this isn't Solomon's wisdom, this is the wisdom of God. And Paul is sure to tell us later on that this God of wisdom is the Heavenly Father to all his people. More so, he is their Abba Father, a very intimate term. So you take Paul's description and you put it to the book of Proverbs and you realize This is your Heavenly Father, your Abba Father, 
who is sharing his wisdom with you. You're his beloved child. And he is sitting you down and he is sharing his wisdom with you. Yes, Solomon is the messenger. But he is simply sharing what the Holy Spirit has given to him. He's sharing the wisdom of God. So which means we are to read this book in a particular way. We are to read it as our Father sharing his wisdom with us. This isn't just some wisdom book we find next to the you know, cash register at the grocery store. This is the wisdom of God in his book. This is our Father's wisdom. He has called us to gather around him as he shares with us his wisdom, the wisdom we need to live this faithful Christian life in a sinful, fallen, and broken world. It's the intimate, loving wisdom of our loving and eternal Father. Now, this wisdom is shared in the form of a proverb. That makes sense, right? It's the name of the book. The Hebrew noun for proverb is related to a verb that means to represent or to be like. So a proverb is a little model of reality. It's a little verbal representation of some aspect of our daily lives. So Proverbs is wisdom for everyday life. Proverbs is wisdom for how we're to live this life. So the nature of wisdom is intimate in its sharing of God the Father with us, and it's intimate in that it has an effect on our everyday lives. This isn't just general, ethereal knowledge information. This is knowledge for us that affects our everyday lives. It's this wisdom of God that's meant to change us in our lives. But this isn't just head knowledge so we can sound really smart as we you know, puff on a pipe and sit back in our leather chair and sound really smart as we kind of throw out these proverbs. But this is knowledge that's meant to be applied to our lives. This is God saying to us, do you want to live the good life? Then listen to me. Do you want to live a life that avoids uh, destruction and hell? Then, then listen to me. Do you want to thrive? Here's how you thrive. So what, what's interesting about this, is it means the Proverbs are, are, are meant to be picked up. And they're meant to be looked at from every angle. Right? We, 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 we pick it up and we turn around, we look at it from every angle so we can see something about our lives before we step out to that actual reality. I'm sure growing up, we all had that family member who had like the china cabinet or the antique cabinet, right? And, and, and God help your mortal soul if you went and tried to touch anything in that china cabinet, right? Because that china comes back from 1700s and that china is more precious than your life, right? So all you can do is stand about five feet back from it and look at this dusty old china and wonder, well, what's the big deal about this? And then we realize we hit adulthood when we have that cabinet in our house and we threaten our children and grandchildren. Don't touch that china. It comes from 1700s. Why is it important? I don't know. But it's there, so don't touch it. Right? That's not the Proverbs. The Proverbs are meant to be, to be touched and looked at and looked at from every angle. Growing up with a grandfather and a father who loved airplanes and grew up on an Air Force base, uh, I love airplanes. I hate flying, uh, but I love airplanes. It, it doesn't make sense, but that's just how it goes. And I love watching shows on airplanes whenever I find them on, on TV. was recently watching a show uh, talking about how they design airplanes, and it's fascinating. Before an airplane is even thought about being built, uh, they have these computer programs where they type in all the numbers and stuff, 
and, it, and it, on the computer, it t- it's this 3D model, and you can turn it any and every way. You can look at it from every angle, and you can put through all sorts of simulations of how it will fly in this wind speed, and this wind speed, and through hurricanes, and so on and so forth. And then they print out these little small-scale models, and they put them into the wind tunnels, and they turn around. And so before the plane is ever produced, that thing is looked at from every angle possible. Before that plane has ever gone through the production line, they are certain that plane is going to fly. For years, they have looked at it from every angle to make sure they're going to put the best product out there. And that's the purpose of these Proverbs. They're a 3D model of our life. And we're meant to read them, reread them, look at them from every angle so we can see what it says of our lives before we step out to the actual reality of it. It's God's wisdom for us to handle and look over so we can be better prepared for life. And the implication of this can turn things upside down for us. Because for, for many of us, if not all of us, we've grown up with, the, with that proverb of live and learn, right? It was said to us, we've said it to others, it's been applied to us, we've applied it to others, live and learn. I know I've said it about my children when I watch them get ready to do something dumb, and Beth wants to go stop them, I go, uh uh-uh, uh, let them live and learn, right? And there are certainly times where, where this is applicable. Sometimes you just have to live and learn. If you're going to be late to work, then you're probably going to get fired. If you don't study for your test, you're probably going to fail. If you speed, well, you can speed through downtown Winsboro, nothing happened to you. But somewhere else, if you, if you speed, then you'll probably get pulled over and get a, a, a speed ticket, right? You have to live and learn. That works for parts of life. But it isn't meant to be the wisdom in a Christian life, not when we're dealing with matters of eternal consequence. Because what happens when we live and learn? Sometimes we live, but we don't learn. And why would we want to do that with the Christian life? Why would we want to do that with matters of eternal consequence? Well, just live, but you may never learn, because by learning, you may end up in hell. See, what the book of Proverbs says is that God turns us around, and for the Christian faith, for things of eternal consequence, he says, learn and live. Learn and live. See, the Christian faith in life isn't always about getting out there and, and working out and seeing what sticks and what works. That's dangerous to do with things of eternal consequence. Rather, the Christian life is listening to the wisdom of God so we can first learn before we go out and live. What's the proverb of Christian life? Learn from God so we can best live for Him. The best thing you and I can do is to sit at the feet of God and to learn from Him. To learn from His wisdom so we can best live a life that thrives for His glory. We want to learn so we can best live. When we learn from the wisdom of God so we can best thrive in this life that God's blessed us with. So the proverb for us is learn and live. And the wonderful thing about this is God, again, does this in this intimate way with us. The book of Proverbs is, is, is one sense of him coming up, putting his arm around his shoulders, uh, putting his arm around his shoulders and saying, look, before you go out and make a big mess out of this, or before you go out and make a bigger mess out of this, listen to me. Listen to my wisdom so you can know how to best deal with this. 
God loves us. And he shows his love for us in giving wisdom to us so we can learn how to live. He shares this, as we said, in this intimate way. But we also find that wisdom is intimate and that it is meant to change our lives. Again, this isn't ethereal. This isn't a hypothesis. This isn't some kind of academic thesis of maybe this is true. No, this is very practical. The wisdom of God is very practical. It refers fundamentally to living and keeping with the order that God built to this world so we can survive and thrive. God's wisdom is meant to change us. It changes how we live. It changes how we want to live. And we see that from the very beginning and that the two goals of God's wisdom for us are listed in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. Now the goals of the book of Proverbs is for us to grow in character and to grow in straight thinking. Wisdom, God's wisdom, affects our character, who we are, and affects our thinking. Now, we know character is important, right? Well, it's important to God as well. And so his wisdom guides us in growing in character and guides us in how we think. So when he talks about knowing wisdom instruction, he's talking about growing in character, that we grow through our knowledge of his wisdom and through his instruction And then to understand words of insight indicates straight thinking, that we know how to think. So right here, in the beginning of Proverbs, we find the goal of wisdom. It changes us. changes how we live, how we want to live. It changes our character, and it changes how we think. So let's think first about character. Verse 3. So you receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So the character of a godly, wise Christian is built upon wisdom. Our character grows as we build upon wisdom, as we acquire the skill and expertise to understand how life really works and how we thrive in God's ways and blessings. It's that skill set. And we often see that skill set described in somebody's thoughtfulness. We know those people, we go, they're very thoughtful people. Now, we, we know those people we describe as being those who do not think before they speak or act. Right? There's really no filter, little to no filter in their lives or on what they speak. They're impulsive. There's just really no filter to them. And that's the antithesis of a wise Christian. A wise Christian has a thoughtfulness to them. They're thoughtful of God. They're thoughtful of others. They're thoughtful of their life. They're thoughtful of their words and actions. Wisdom has brought them to the place where impulsiveness is dampened down. They don't, you know, first jump and then ask how high, right? I mean, I guess that works when you're in boot camp, but this doesn't always work well in life. As we grow in character, we find that it's God's wise thoughts that are formulating in our minds to help guide us in action. It's this wisdom that understands how life can work how it works well and thrives. Ray Ortland, who's a, who's a pastor, he used to pastor First Pres in Augusta. He's somewhere out in, in Nashville, Tennessee now. Um, he wrote this wonderful book on, on the book of Proverbs. And he gives us three categories of growing in character, growing in Christian character and wisdom. The first one is perceiving wisdom. 
Perceiving wisdom. That's the wisdom to ask hard questions about life and to understand God's answers. And I like that. Because I've found over the years that Christians tend to be afraid to ask the hard questions about life. We're afraid to ask those hard questions and maybe it's because we're afraid of the answer. Maybe we're afraid of what the answer will mean for us. Maybe we think it's a sin to ask God those sort of questions. Right? We just have to kind of be like, you know, uh, was it the step for wives? That we just kind of you know, blindly smile and just take everything with a yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. We seem to avoid asking the hard questions. So then when something bad or hard happens, what, ha- what happens to us? Well, for some of us, our our faith is rocked to the core and we don't know what to do anymore. And so people walk away from the faith. Or we hide behind these sugary, sweet sayings that makes us feel better. Something bad happens, that's okay. We just just live, laugh, love. Right? And I'm not necessarily making fun of that, but, you know, when your child dies, we'll just live, laugh, love. What's that do for you? We seem to avoid asking God the hard questions. The irony of it is, the Bible never avoids that. We think of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think of Jesus saying on the cross, Jesus is quoted Psalm 22. So it's meant a human author looked to God and said, My God, why have you forgotten about me? My life is miserable right now. Where are you? That's a hard question, isn't it? We think about the book of Job. We think about Job's testimony. We think about Job asking hard questions of God. The whole book of Job is to explain to us why bad things happen to good people. And that's a great, you know, people all the time wanting to question our faith. We go, why do bad things happen to good people? We go, ah, read the book of Job. They don't want to, they really do. But we have the answer there. We have the pastoral epistles that explains to us why tribulation happens to faithful Christians. I think we said this last week. Out of the 12 apostles, so what we'll do, we'll do some math here. He had 12, he had Judas who did his thing. He dies, commits suicide. And then we add Paul into it, right? So out of that 12, only one of them died a natural death. One of them, John. And that's after he'd been exiled to the island of Patmos. The rest of them had tribulation and died as faithful Christians. So the pastoral epistles goes through and it answers, why do bad things happen to Christians? Well, here's why. The, the Bible is very upfront that life is hard and bad things will happen to Christians. So the character of a wise, godly Christian has perceiving wisdom. It isn't afraid to ask those questions. That we know it's okay to look to God and say, why? Why did this happen? Why did you allow this to happen? God, what what good could possibly come from a situation like this? I like how one pastor said it. God's a big boy. He has big shoulders. He can take those questions. That's perceiving wisdom. It's okay to ask those questions, but it's only okay to ask those questions because we're willing to trust God for the answers. We go to God to ask these questions, not to disprove him, 
but because he is our God and he's the only one who has answers to that. God, why did this happen? I don't like it. I'm angry about this. I'm very angry and I'm very angry at you about this. But I'm coming to you because I still trust you. That is perceiving wisdom. We go to God with our hard questions, but we go to God with our hard questions willing to listen to his answers and to work it out through faith. Sometimes God's answers is silence, but we trust the God behind the silence. That's perceiving wisdom. Next part of the character of Christians is acting wisdom. And that's what guides us in our practical conduct every day, that God's wisdom guides us in how we live. So this wisdom acknowledges that it's more than just information and knowledge. Right? We just don't sound like you know, some jukebox of random wise sayings, right? It's meant to go from head to heart. Wisdom affects how we live. Past week, I came across a letter uh, that a pastor wrote either, I think, to his church might have been a broader audience, uh, but the letter was, Dear Christian, be a good Christian. And in it, he says this. He tells these stories. I don't have scientific data to back this up, but I suspect that little has done more damage to the reputation of the church and of Christians in general than bad Christians. Abusers who claim to follow Jesus give the church a bad reputation, but it isn't the only egregious sinner's who give the church a bad name. He goes on to say, I'm still ashamed of a conversation I had with a waitress 10 years ago. I knew her, and she knew I was a, she knew I was a pastor. Came in one day for lunch. There was another man in a restaurant who was also a pastor in our community, and she asked me, do you know him? And so I told her the truth. I know who he is, but I don't know him. After a few choice cuss words, she went on to explain that this pastor came into the restaurant often And he was consistently the worst customer in the restaurant. And she ended by saying, and he's a preacher. That young lady wasn't a Christian. And she had little interest in becoming one. And a man who was a known Christian leader in our community gave her one more reason to not love Jesus. A little while later, a small business owner told me that she was glad that they closed up shops on Sundays. Because, in her words... All those people coming in here on Sundays after going to church had terrible attitudes. Again, she wasn't involved in the church and some bad Christians gave her even more reason to not go to church or to trust the witness of the gospel. From that, he then implores this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then for the sake of Christ and his church, please try to actually act like Jesus, love like Jesus, and live like Jesus. Be a good Christian. Don't be a cultural warrior. Don't be a political Christian. Be a biblical Christian. Be the kind of person that causes other people to want what you have. You know, the stories he told tells us that acting wisdom is in short demand. Because acting wisdom guides us in living as a good Christian. Not works righteousness, but we want to live like Jesus act like Jesus and love like Jesus. That we live out God's will and wisdom in our lives. I am uh, more and more 
excuse me, I am more and more convinced and convicted that this act in wisdom, faithful living for Christ, I'm not, I'm not saying being perfect, no one's perfect, but faithful living for Christ changes our countenance. I believe it changes the very way we look. I know people, I've seen people who physically look like they're under this heavy burden of sin that they won't repent of. It's physically written all over their countenance. They're just miserable people. And there are others who have a glow to them, a joy, a presence that says, I am a Christian. You don't have to ask them about their faith. It's just written all over them. That's the result of acting wisdom. It guides us. God's wisdom guides us in our practical conduct every day. Third one is communicating wisdom. That we want this wisdom. We want to sit in the school of sages. That we have this invitation to come and learn from the best of the best. Some of you may be familiar with TED Talks. If you're not, TED Talks you can find on the internet. These 18 to 20, 25 minute talks that are given by experts in their field. So you can go online and you can watch these learned experts talk about their subject. And you can learn from the best of the best. It's really kind of fascinating. And what we understand in the character of godly Christians is that we have the best wisdom right here, always at our fingertips. That we have access to the wisdom of God whenever we want to, if we would just come to his word and learn it. It's like learning the theory of relativity from Albert Einstein. Like learning the the art of hitting from Ted Williams and Tony Gwynn. Learning the art of songwriting from John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Learning the art of, of, of guitar playing from Jimi Hendrix and, and Doc Watson. Right? It just, we, we can learn from the best of the best if we would just come to his word to learn it. <clears throat> wise Christians are wise because they have come to this wisdom. And that's the character of a godly wise Christian. We can only delve into his character through faith and discipline. We, we get this wisdom and character the hard way. We, we, we read it. We learn it. We study it. We trust it. We live it out. That's how we grow in the character of wisdom. And we're told this leads to straight thinking, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. There's three key words there. Prudence means shrewdness, knowledge, and discretion. Altogether, we can summarize this as straight thinking. They put it this way. The godly wise Christian knows how to think because God is his wisdom and the Bible is his text. How do we know a godly wise Christian? Because it's the wisdom of God and the Bible is his text. They know how to navigate life. They know what knowledge is worth knowing and they know when and how to act on it. One of the wisest men I ever told me would tell me over and over again, as Christians we are called to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's straight thinking, isn't it? The wisdom of God, the Bible's our text, so we know what the right thing is to do at the right time for the right reason. It begins with God, it continues with God, it ends with God. That is godly character. This passage ends with a verse we're all familiar with. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom beginning of knowledge. See, the end result of this wisdom is to fear the Lord, which means the end result of this growing character and straight thinking is Jesus Christ and Him glorified in your life. 
See, true wisdom always points to Jesus. True wisdom always relies on Jesus. True wisdom always reveals Jesus. True wisdom always lives for Jesus. So his wisdom changes us. Changes how we live and how we think and that it makes us more like Jesus. And that should be good news to us because I would think many of us here at times feel so unwise. We feel so unlike Jesus. And the Proverbs gives us that good news. Let's end with this. We, most of us know who Muhammad Ali is. For years and years and years, he served as a role model to a number of people. The story is, one day a young man came to him and asked him if he should continue his studies in college or go and try and make fortune in the world. Muhammad Ali told him this, stay in college, get the knowledge. He was good about rhyming. Stay in college, get the knowledge. If they, can make penicillin, if they can make penicillin out of moldy bread, then they can make something out of you. No matter how unwise, no matter how unlike Jesus we may feel, if we would just come to his wisdom, have it grow us in our character, guide us in our thinking, then we will be made more and more like Jesus. As the Father puts his arm around you and gives you wisdom for how to live a life that thrives, if we would just come to his wisdom. Let's pray.